like for you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis. And turn with me to the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis has been an interesting book. We have been looking and reading and preaching out of this book for several, several months. And we're coming to a very important part of the book of Genesis. Fifty chapters there in the book of Genesis. And one-fourth of that particular book is about a person by the name of Joseph. We're going to go and look in the life of Joseph for the next couple of weeks. And Joseph was an individual that, uh, that is fascinating. In fact, it's amazing as you study the life of Joseph, there's two things that immediately comes to my mind when I think about Joseph and Joseph's life. Number one, that he learned that circumstances of life has a purpose. Have you ever thought about that? We sometimes find ourselves in difficult circumstances. And we sometimes, we ask the question, why? Well, nowhere in the Bible did I find that of all the different circumstances that Joseph experienced, even though they were very difficult, he ever asked the question, why? Now, I'm not saying that that is wrong to ask why. Even the Lord Jesus Christ there upon the cross asked why one time. Why hast thou forsaken me? But what Joseph learned was this. He learned that what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. That there is a purpose in life, no matter what the circumstances are, that God uses those circumstances to bring out the good in our life. But there's a second thing I find that's very interesting in the life of Joseph. And that is that he also realized that the conduct of his life had great priority. It's amazing. As you go back and you study his life, it was a life of Morality. It was a life of, of godliness. It was a life of holiness. And he, so he realized that his life had a purpose, just like your life has a purpose. And that purpose and that priority should be holiness, should be godliness, and that we should conduct ourselves accordingly. But you know what? I find something even more interesting than that in the life of Joseph is that his life is a, is probably represents the Lord Jesus Christ as well as any other character in the Bible. It's amazing of the similarities as you go back and you look at what Joseph's life was all about. And 
try to look at that in parallel with the Lord Jesus Christ. F.B. Meyer, great, great Bible scholar, he said something that I thought was so interesting. He says, I remember seeing in the life of Joseph reflected in its minutest detail the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus is remarkably mirrored in this touching story. It's amazing. And so what I want us to do today, I believe that will be very interesting, is to give you a thumbnail sketch of the life of Joseph in comparison with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, with your Bibles open, there in the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis, I invite you to stand. We're only going to read two verses, but we're going to look at the whole entire chapter and even... Chapter 49, uh, chapter 47 and 49 as well. But listen to what he says in verse 1. Now Jacob dwelled in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, let's look at verse 3 as well. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of of his old age, and he made him a coat, a tunic of many colors. Father, may the Holy Spirit of God take the precious Scripture off of these pages, and Lord, that they may be sunk down deep into our hearts, and may we be challenged, like Joseph, to live a life according to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we pray that today, by your anointing and your filling, that you will speak in a manner like we have never heard you speak before. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to take a a very very strong look in the life of this one by the name of Joseph. And as I said, his life is in so much of comparison of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean to us today? What does that mean to you and me? I'm reminded the Bible tells us that we are to be called Christians. We are what is known as to be Christ-like. And so therefore, when I look at the life of Joseph and I see that it was in parallel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it challenges me and convicts me as well that my life is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. Your life 
is to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that Christ is to be so exhibited in and through your life that others will be able to see the Christ that you serve and the Christ that you love and the Christ that you honor. Three things I want you to notice. Now, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to go back to the Scriptures from time to time. And you might want to follow me as there on the back of the uh, uh, bulletin as we look at this passage of Scripture. First of all, we see Joseph. We see him revered by his father. Listen what the Bible says there in verse 3 once again. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph, loved him more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Now Jacob had 12 sons, but his favorite was Joseph. He had esteemed him in such a manner above his other sons. He was shown that he loved this particular person in a very special, special way. Now, you stop and you think about it. The Bible reminds us that when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, as he was coming forth out of that water, the Father himself said, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased with. The Father recognizing his Son. And then there on the Mount of Transfiguration, Once again, the father said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, the heavenly father has many sons, has many children. You're one of his children. I'm one of his children. But no doubt, as you study the scriptures, Jesus Christ was something very special. And there the Bible reminds us, as I'm reminded in John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but many has received him. To them he gave the right to become sons of God, children of God, and to those who believe in his name. My friend, Jesus is revered as the Son. In other words, he's the favorite son. He is the one that the father has looked upon and said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Genesis chapter 37 features about Joseph that has made him revered by the son of his father. I think in at least two different ways. First of all, you'll go back and you look at verse 2 you'll notice that his walk was undefiled. Undefiled. Think about it, what it says in verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with his sons Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now, this is not the case of being a tattertale. 
This is not the case that Joseph says, Aha, I caught you. I'm going to go and tell my father. That's not the content of this passage of Scripture. When he saw evil, his conduct, his character demanded that that sin be exposed. That's different, my friend. The purity of his heart could not ignore the impurity of the hearts of his brothers. The morality of his life could not ignore the immorality of the life of his brothers. And so the Bible tells us here that here he saw a bad report and he reported it. I think it's interesting, as you go back and you study the life of Joseph, there is not one single word of condemnation against Joseph. Now, one time will you find that there was a time that Joseph had sinned. Now, of course, we know that he sinned because he's a sinner like we all are. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But, it was very rare. His life was a life of obedience. His life was a life of holiness. His life was a life that conducted a life of purity. And you see that all the way through the Word of God. Not one defiling sin. Not one dirty stain that was in his life that is recorded. Not one dark spot that is reported. Now, when I read that and thought about that, I thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, he says, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Now, the Bible reminds us that Jesus was perfect. And not one sin ever recorded. He was tempted in all manner as we are. But he was sinless. Now, the Bible reminds us that there is none righteous. No, not one. And yet the Bible reminds us in Psalms 129 verse 4. That the Lord is righteous. He is holy. He is like, as we look today, has set the bar, has set the example before us today. His walk was undefiled. That is what's so amazing and so wonderful that when he went to the cross, my friend, he could go to the cross as a lamb that was without blemish. That he went to the cross sinless. And therefore, he took your sins and there he became sin. Took my sins as well. His walk was undefiled. More than 33 and a half years here on the face of the earth. Not one time did he ever say a curse word. Not one time did he ever do an evil deed. Not one time did he ever ask the Father to forgive him for telling a lie. Not one time did he ever, 
ever sinned. His walk was undefiled. But not only was his walk undefiled, but my friend, his wardrobe was unique. You think about Joseph's wardrobe. The Bible says there in verse 3 that he also made him a coat of many colors or a tunic of many colors. Now, from the childhood on, if you were in Sunday school, you had heard about Joseph's coat of many colors. And we even sung songs about Joseph's coat of many colors. But oh, my friend, I want you to understand, more than it was a beautiful, beautiful coat, and it had consistent colors, it had more meaning to it than that. The word here in the Hebrew describes the word robe. Now, I want you to get the picture here. His robe had many colors, but it was different than the rest. His coat went all the way down to his ankles. His coat, the sleeves went all the way down to his wrist. You say, well, what's so special about that? Well, see, the average person didn't wear a coat like that. The average person wore a coat that had no sleeves. The average person of that day wore a coat that the hem would come to his waist. And that was for the purpose of that they were laborers. The coat did not get in the way. But a coat that went all the way down to its ankles and all the way down to its wrists and of many colors spoke of royalty. In other words, it spoke of one that was a master, one that lorded over another person. And so that is the most important thing. In other words, what Joseph's father was literally was saying was that Joseph has preeminence over the other brothers. Preeminence. Now, when I think about that word preeminence, I'm immediately reminded of Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Listen to what it says. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things that he may have the preeminence. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ is the preeminent one. He is what is known as we know today as the Lord of Lords. He is the master. He is the ruler of our life. He is preeminent. And so Joseph, in parallel, wore a wardrobe of preeminence. First rank of authority. But let's move on a little bit further. Not only do I see that he is revered by his father. His father loved him. And his father revered him. But I see there in verse 12 and following, we see that he was rejected by his family. Listen to what the Bible says in starting in verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, 
Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said, Please go, see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. We see Joseph living in Hebron. The word Hebron means fellowship. It means friendship. We see that not only that Joseph lived a holy life, he lived a happy life. He was in that relationship with his father, noticing that there and his father was so close. But oh, I see something. I hope you see this, that the father sends him to a foreign country to go find his brothers. The Bible says that he came to a place called Shechem. Now, Shechem is a place of wilderness. It's a place of, I would say, a place that was sinful. It was a place of wantonness. And he leaves his father and he goes to find his brothers into a place that was sinful. Now, two things that I want you to notice as you will look at that passage of Scripture. First of all, I want you to notice as he was seeking, Joseph was seeking for his brothers. The Bible says in verse 15 and following, says, Now a certain man found him, and there he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Do you not see the Father and the Son sitting in the glories of glories? Do you not see that the Father having that special relationship with His only begotten Son? And He sends Him on a mission. He sends him on a mission. He sends him into this world. A world of sin. A world of wantonness. A world of immorality. A world that was rejecting the holy standards of God. Jesus came into this world facing such a world such as that. I'm reminded what Luke says in Luke 19, verse 10. The Bible says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. John chapter 6, verse 38 says something very similar as well. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent. 
See the picture here that Jesus, like Joseph, leaves his father and he goes into a foreign land. Why did Joseph seek his brothers? Well, the Bible tells us to let them know of the father's concern. The Bible tells us to let them know of the father's care and to remind them of the love of their father. Why did Jesus come into this world? To remind us of the Father's care. To remind us of the Father's love. To remind us that the Father is wanting to know how we are doing and to demonstrate His love in our life. Oh, do you not see Joseph seeking just like the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. Sir, you're here today and you've never come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to understand there's someone that is on your heels and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is seeking you that you might come to understand how much the Father loves you. And so we find Him there on the dusty shores of Galilee, we find him going to and fro. And what is he doing? He is sharing the love of the Father, just like Joseph. But not only do you see the seeking of Joseph, but you also see the selling of Joseph by his brethren. Listen to what the Bible says there in verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams." But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him, that he might be deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass that when Joseph had come to his brothers, they had stripped Joseph of his tunic or his coat. The tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, palm, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them to Egypt. So Judith said to his brother, Brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and our brother, brothers, listen. Then the Midianites, traitors, 
pass by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. My, my, my. You would have felt that his brothers would have been appreciative that his brother, their brother, would come and to seek them out and to try to find them and to check on them and to make sure they were not in trouble. But not Joseph's brothers. They hated him. They despised him. And they rejected him. I'm reminded of what the Bible tells us of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 1, verse 11. The Bible says, And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. He came to his own, and in his own received him not. The Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers stripped him from his coat. I reminded of what the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 27, verse 28. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. We read that Joseph's brothers sold him for 20 pieces of silver. That was the average price for a slave. We're also reminded that when the Lord Jesus Christ was upon this earth, that he was sold for 30 pieces of silver. That was the New Testament average price for a slave. Just like Joseph, he was stripped. Just like Joseph, he was sold. But oh, look at this. The Bible reminds us also that there was one by the name of Judah. Judah was a man that suggested of selling Joseph. Judah, does that remind you of anything? Judah in the Old Testament is equivalent to the New Testament name Judas. All the similarities is amazing. It is phenomenal. Isaiah the prophet had prophesied that Jesus came and he would be despised and be rejected by men. Just like Joseph. But one last thing I want you to notice. We not only see him rejected by his family, but we see him ruling by his fate. Turn over to chapter 37 and look at verse 5 just for a moment. Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, it says, And Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream, which I have dreamed. And they were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. 
And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. You continue on there in verses 9 and 10, and it describes that Joseph had two dreams. And it revealed in his dreams of his destiny as a ruler. It revealed that he was one that was going to rule all the world. In other words, this dream dealt with a harvest as well as with the heavens. It dealt with the sheaves as well as with the stars. The dream that was involved indicated that all the resources of the world would be under the authority and the approval of Joseph himself. The dream that involved the heavens and the stars and the sun indicated all the rulers of the world would one day bow down to him. Now, I want you to notice something very carefully. First of all, you go back and you look in chapter 39 and verses 7 and following, you will notice that he was wrongfully placed in prison. You know the story. Joseph was sold by his brothers, and they took him down into Egypt. And there, they put him on a slave block, and there was a man by the name of Potiphar. And Potiphar was a high-ranking official of Pharaoh's army. He purchases him. He brings him home to become a servant. As he comes home, the Bible reminds us that all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife began to eye Joseph. Look what the Bible says as in verse chapter 39, just for a moment. The Bible says in chapter 39, in verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, casting long eyes on Joseph, and she says, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me, in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? The Bible tells us he jumps up and he runs and he leaves his coat behind. And you begin to realize that the scorn of this woman with anger and rejection, she goes to Potiphar and tells Potiphar that as instead of her seducing him, that he tried to seduce her. 
Immediately Potiphar began gets upset. And immediately Potiphar cast him into prison. Joseph had done nothing wrong. But he's cast into prison. He did everything right. Falsely accused of a crime. And he was cast into prison. Does that remind you of anybody? Does that remind you of one by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ had done nothing wrong but been falsely accused, cast into prison? Matthew chapter 26 verse 59 and 60 says, Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council saw false witnesses against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet they found, found they none. At the last two false witnesses came. Even though Joseph was innocent, he offered no defense. Even though Jesus was innocent, he offered no defense. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. More than one way the Lord Jesus Christ was punished for nothing. Falsely accused. Wrongfully placed into prison. But he was also wonderfully promoted to the palace. One of the most amazing things about this story is the turnaround. Joseph had gone from the pit to the prison to the palace. The Bible tells us that Pharaoh had a dream. And in that dream... They brought Joseph in. And Joseph was able to interpret that dream. And because of that interpretation, and no one else was able to interpret that dream, Pharaoh begins to place Joseph as the second highest ranking official in Egypt. The results that Joseph found himself exalted him in the position of ruler. We see the authority that was given to him, the Bible says, in chapter 41 and 39 and following. Everyone was under the rule of Joseph. The Bible says that when Jesus arose from the grave, Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. The authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also see the acclaim that was given to him. Listen to what the Bible says in forty-one, chapter 41, just for a second. In verse 41 and 42. 
And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off in his hands and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in the garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chapter or the second chariot, excuse me, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Juice, of Egypt. What an exchange. One that had been despised, one that has been rejected, one that had been sold, one that had been lied upon. Now he is one that is an authority. The Bible says they put a ring on Joseph's. Hand. The Bible says that Pharaoh arrayed him with royalty, with the garments of a ruler, put a gold chain around his neck, put him in a royal chariot. And everywhere he went, the Bible says that there was a decree that went out, bow the knee, bow the knee. For he is a man of royalty. I find it interesting in chapter 41, in verse 45, Pharaoh changes the name of Joseph. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, he says, Zaha. I think that's right. If not, you come up here and pronounce it for me. (laughs) But anyway, do you know what that means? Savior of the world. Savior of the world. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and following, Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Potiphar's wife had to bow to the knee of Joseph. The guards at the prison had to bow to the knee of Joseph. Potiphar himself had to bow to the knee of Joseph. Everyone, rich and poor, had to bow to the knee of Joseph. My friend, I want you to understand, you come into this world today, And Christ introduces himself to you to be the Savior of the world. And you reject him? You may reject him today, but there will come a day. You will bow to the knee. And you will acknowledge him as Lord and Master. Every vile person, every sinful deed of mankind 
throughout all the world will bow the knee. I remember a couple years ago, I had the opportunity to go to England. And uh, I visited the Tower of London. And I, there was the crown jewels there. But what was so fascinating was that they showed a film of the coronation of Elizabeth II, June 3, 1953. And they showed in that film that they came and they gave her a gold rod in one hand. And when he gave him the gold rod, the servant bowed to the queen. Another servant came and gave her a golden scepter. Another servant came and gave her a crown. And each and every one that was there, they bowed their knee to the queen. Even her own husband bowed to the knee to the Queen of England. It was astonishing. I thought to myself that even though they were bowing to her knee, one day she will be bowing to the knee of the Lord Jesus Christ. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate and fall. Bring forth the royal diadem. Crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Let every kindred and every tribe on this terrestrial ball to him all majesty ascribe. Crown Him Lord of all. To Him all majesty ascribe and crown Him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throne we at His feet may fall. We join the everlasting song and crown Him Lord of all. We join the everlasting song and crown Him Lord. Of all. Amen. My friend, either you crown him today as Lord, one day you will crown him. And you will bow before him. But all today, he has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I want to challenge you today to open up your heart and your life to him and to receive him as Lord and Savior. You're a child of God, but yet you've allowed sin to come and to interfere with the Lordship of Christ in your life. Today is that day that you come and acknowledge that very fact, confess it, and bow before Him as Lord.